Let us pray. Come now, Holy Spirit. Pour out your spirit on all of us gathered here out of love for you. And may my words in our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I read uh, today's gospel reading multiple times this week. There is so much in this text. I hope I can make sense of just a little bit of it for you. Um, But reading this, I couldn't help but think about my childhood because this is one of the childhood stories you heard if you went to Sunday school at all or to church because it was read every year. And it's magical and mystical, isn't it? These strangers sort of appearing out of the mist uh, and coming to honor the child Jesus. But also what I remembered was that uh, as a child and a teenager, my family spent a lot of time outside. And it may have been because we didn't have air conditioning, any air conditioning, <laughs> not central, not wall, you know, window units. We didn't have air conditioning. We did have heat, but not air conditioning. And so um, I think we just spent a lot of time outside. And often we spent evenings outside. I mean, my family was known for having outside barbecues for the neighbors and, you know, and we played outside until after the sun went down. And my family often spent time outside looking at the stars. I mean, really. Uh, we looked for the Big Dipper. We looked for the North Star. We looked for the planet Venus. And we, we looked for Orion's Belt. Maybe y'all did some of that, too. I don't do that so much anymore. Maybe you don't either. And I think it's perhaps because we live in a city, and so the stars aren't as apparent, maybe. Uh, and, and that we enjoy the comforts of our home, right? We're comfortable. Well, you know, in April this year, there's going to be a big heavenly event with uh, the moon crossing in, into the path of the sun and hiding that star for a little bit of time. And we're right in the path to see it. So get your glasses now. Uh, what I think is what has happened by staying inside so much and maybe not looking at the stars or even what's around us is that we've lost some of the wonder, the wonder of the natural world, the wonder of creation, the wonder of God. There's a new ad campaign going on right now on uh, cable television. It's produced by the U.S. Forest Service. It's called Discover the Forest. I don't know if you've seen any of them with the idea that spending time in nature provides numerous benefits to people, to families, to people of different cultures uh, and backgrounds, uh, and it presents a bonding opportunity and a chance to instill a lifelong love for the outdoors. That's what the whole campaign is about. And in one of the ads, there's a young girl who is in the kitchen with her dad who's cooking, and And she says, she asks, uh, like Siri, she asks, or whatever it is, one of those things. Alexa, Alexa, yeah. She asks, uh, 
each other's stories. And the dad perks up and says, well, Alexa says, I could, I don't know. <laughs> and so uh, the dad perks up and says, well, let's go find out. And so they go to a hiking trail in a forest. And while they're there, she again asks, do clouds take naps? Now, do you hear the wonder and the mystery and those questions, the joy? Uh, and, and, and what you see that she is seeing is a low-lying cloud, you know, and clouds take naps. So the creativity, the wonder, the questions being asked. And so I think by sometimes not looking at the stars or not taking the time to examine creation around us, we lose the opportunity to ask creative and important questions. And I'm convinced that the questions we raise can engage us in discovering our world and God in our lives. And then perhaps we can live those questions. This is a sermon series uh, we're calling Living the Question. And each of our gospel readings uh, in the next six weeks uh, of this season will raise questions for us, either in the text or implied in the text, okay? And today's question raised is, where is the child? And I want you to ponder that for a minute. Because I think uh, that's a question that we can ask a lot. But before we go any further, let's start with an understanding of the word epiphany. The word means showing forth. And in the case of the Epiphany season, all the scriptures we hear is about Jesus showing forth who he is. Okay? And we're going to do that especially through the Gospel of Mark and some of John, the Gospel of John. And so uh, the other showing forth that happens in this season is of the glory of God. So we've got the showing forth of Jesus' identity, but we've also got things happening that glorify God and, and point to the glory of God. And, and, and the interesting thing about glory, the glory of God, is that it, it, it doesn't go away. So we tend to think about glorifying something, or you know, but, but the glory of God is unfading. And it makes itself known in God's pure offering of God's self in Jesus Christ. Uh, and that, that offering doesn't just, isn't just for the people of Israel. It's for the Gentiles too, which we, is, that's us, right? And it doesn't, the glory of God is unfading. One of the Gospel of Matthew's major themes is that God's salvation extends beyond Jesus' immediate Jewish community. In, in other words, uh, God's salvation is for everybody. Everybody. It's an inclusive gospel. <laughs> so the visit of the Magi, who were likely Zoroastrians, uh, astronomers from Persia, present-day Iran, wouldn't that change the story if we had paid attention to that? Uh, foreshadows this broad message of inclusion, and together with the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, frames the story of Jesus' life. It's amazing. It bookends 
this message, with this opening story of the Magi, and with the closing story of the Great Commission. Now, not only supposed insiders, but also supposed outsiders are within the great circle of divine love, which is demonstrated very clearly in the reading we just heard. Well, let's clarify today's gospel reading. I, there's a lot we need to clarify, because over the years we've added a lot to this story. I mean, a lot. We've added all kinds of things that aren't there. And part of it's because, you know, we put up our Christmas manger scenes every year, and we include everybody, from the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and everybody's there, the shepherd and the sheep and the magi, and Mary and Joseph and the baby, and, and sometimes we add a lot of other things. So um, you just need to know that there are some things we got to clarify here. So despite the well-known song that we just sang, Noel, Noel, you know, uh, it told the story, right? Told us everything that was going on, the three stages, the Bethlehem star, blah, 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 blah. Well, in Matthew's story of the Magi, there are only two kings. King Herod and Jesus, who was to be rumored, or who was rumored as the king of the Jews. They're the only two kings. The Magi are not kings, even though many of the texts translate that as kings. They were scholars and wisdom people who studied the stars for signs and omens. They were astrologers. So they aren't kings, and there aren't necessarily three of them either, by the way. I mean, we think there's three because there's three gifts, right? So it must be three kings, right? Three magi. So there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But that's a type of gift, and it doesn't specify the number of people who brought them. And by the way, there are no camels either. In case you've got camels in your story, there are no camels, okay? Uh, the gifts are telling, however. Gold for a monarch, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh for one who will suffer and die. That's the symbolism between those gifts right there. In Mark, for instance, Jesus is given wine mixed with myrrh at the crucifixion. In John's Gospel, Nicodemus and Joseph wrap Jesus' dead body with myrrh and aloe. In addition, the cross is foreshadowed in this story in at least three ways. There's that number again, a lot of three, a lot of three. In the myrrh, in the fact that King Herod and all of Jerusalem were frightened that the Magi had come to honor this child who they believed was going to be king of the Jews. It scared them. All of a sudden, the face of God is present now, and that's scary. And in Herod's murderous plot that he asked, that he masked as adoration for the child, right? Now consider that our Christmas cards feature a bright star hovering over the Holy Family in Bethlehem. But Matthew's story tells a different story. <laughs> Only the Magi take notice of this star among the thousands of stars that are visible on a clear night. And they not only take notice, they see and discern in the star a sign. And evidently at some point as they get near Jerusalem, the star goes away. Maybe it sets. 
Uh, and we know that because they go to King Herod for directions. Where is the child? We know there's a child. This is going to be king of the Jews. Where is the child? Now, that's just interesting. And King Herod's dependence on the visitors to lead him to the child indicates that neither he nor anybody in his, uh, his kingdom even knew that a child was being born. None of his assistants could follow the star without help. None of them knew. They did say, they quoted from the Hebrew scriptures, that there, there was to be a, a shepherd, a child born who will shepherd, shepherd my people Israel. That's not a king either, by the way. And following their departure from Her Herod, the scripture says, and they see the star that they had seen at its rising. So the star's back. And they find the child, who, by the way, isn't in Bethlehem by this time, who is more likely a toddler by the time the Magi arrive, which means a toddler living in Nazareth. And they bow down in an action of worship. The other thing they do is that they are so utterly in touch and in connection with God that they discern in a dream that they can go home a different way. That's a kind of um, insurrection, a peaceful insurrection. Insurrections, violent insurrections are not good. We all know that. We have experience with that. But this is a peaceful insurrection, right? They're going to go against the will of a king and power and entity that creates violence in the world and follow instead a different path that they have seen in this child that is a path of peace and justice and inclusion of God's divine love for all people. That's amazing. This is an amazing, amazing story. Now, here's where it gets a little dicey. Could it be, perhaps, asking the question, that Matthew's point in this story is to help us better understand the nature of God, the hiddenness of God, the hiddenness of Jesus Christ. In small and often unnoticed ways, God enters our lives in epiphanies large and small. This hiddenness is a kind of divine signature. I don't know if you're aware of it, but this hiddenness of God is a divine signature. It happens in almost all the mystics' lives, in all the prophets' lives, the hiddenness of God. Instead of showing forth conspicuously, say at the Jerusalem temple or a Roman palace, God slips into the world first noticed by strangers from another culture and another religion, wisdom people from another whole part of the world. So God does indeed show forth, but in a hidden way. That's the complicated part, the paradox. God shows forth, but is always in a hidden way. So 
And the hiddenness of God is a challenge for us, isn't it? I mean, we, we would like to see God. We'd like to hear God. We want to know what God wants of us. We want to know where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do. And sometimes it doesn't happen that way. I mean, throughout a lifetime, we can all have amazing life experiences, all, you know, traveling, going and seeing other people, being with family. I mean, we can have all kinds of experiences. We casually refer to X, formerly known as Twitter feed. We text, we Instagram, we WhatsApp, we TikTok, we form bucket lists, we form lots of lists, lists and lists and lists and lists, and emails and emails and emails and emails and upgrades. I get so tired of the upgrades. We inhabit a world overwhelmed with information. You know, I don't know if you know, but part of our fear is that we see these stories of violence and things happening, and, and it goes on to a 24-hour cycle. It sh repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats, and if you're somebody who pays attention to that, it can be fear-making, fear trauma-making, by watching this repeat over and over and over again, or watching the murder shows over and over and over again. We, we do this to ourselves. And, and, you know, in, interestingly enough, some uh, literary critics have said that poetry is now more and increasingly about instructing. That's never what poetry was meant to be. Poetry was meant to be mystical. And uh, today's in-depth analysis often means that it's little more than give me the facts. Give me the facts. All I want is the facts. I don't want to have to think. I don't want to have to question. I don't want to have to deal with mystery. I want the facts. The great American poet T.S. Eliot writes in the third of his four quartets, The Dry Salvages. We had the experience, but we missed the meaning. That's a quote for our time. We had the experience, but we missed the meaning. And that is among our greatest challenges for the 21st century. We have countless opportunities for experience with God. But we fail to notice, and we miss the meeting. In order to encounter God, we must ask questions, live those questions. Where is the child? Where is Jesus Christ? Where are you, God? We have to ask and open ourselves up to that hidden reality. In order to encounter God, we must ask the questions. And I might also add that silence and solitude and prayer are the ways we engage this, okay? And none of us are any good at, well, I'm not any good at silence, and I'm not any good at solitude. I'll just take that on myself. But that's where we have to begin. We're reading the book of, I can't remember the title of it, Connectedness with God. And uh, that's where it starts. Silence, solitude, and that's where we begin our connectedness with God. Richard Rohr, in Richard Rohr's homily, re really only one message, and that's absolutely true, by the way. I had a clergy friend that said she was pastoring a little church out in San Angelo, and she said, I only give him one, one message. God loves you. That's why I preach every Sunday. <laughs> Richard Rohr's really only one message. This is what he says. Deep down, we know we weren't created from, for separateness from God. 
We were created for the big picture and for union with God. God gave us Jesus as the one who would personify that union, who would put human and divine matter and spirit together. That's what we spend our whole lives trying to believe, that this ordinary earthly sojourn means something. That's Richard Rohr at his best. Interestingly enough, in Taylor Swift's song, I should say, interestingly enough, in the prophet Taylor Swift's song <laughs> that she has titled Epiphany, I think she actually gets the idea. If Matthew's story invites us to move beyond an understanding of Epiphany as a flash, an insight, a sign, that Epiphany is really about connectedness with God, union with God, then Swift does get it. Her chorus calls out to those across space and time with words of solidarity and empathy. With you, I serve. With you, I fall down. Down. Watch you breathe in. Watch you breathing out. Out. The festival of Epiphany reveals to us who Jesus Christ is, who has come become incarnate among us. And I just want to say for New Church, you know, that first lesson, that modern lesson that we heard Tim read is exactly about all of this, about taking the step, about knowing where we're going, about not knowing where we're going to land, about trusting in this relationship and being willing to bear that time of liminality where we don't know and so we question. And sometimes our questions are angry, and sometimes they're hard, but the questions are where we begin this process. In today's reading, the Magi revealed to us that the Messiah has come inclusively and for all people, Jew and Gentile, wealthy and poor, oppressed and oppressor. And this in inclusivity is a significant aspect of the scandal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of these passages that we will hear in Epiphany call us into the glory of God's inclusive incarnation. Here's the path to union with God. We all long for So, my appealing to you today is to discover the forest. Discover the forest. As the Magi did, let us go out into the world, into the night, into the early morning, into the forest, and ask our questions. Do trees tell stories? Do clouds take naps? Where is 